the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 244. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Bill Bennett. Welcome along, Bill. Great to uh, great to have you back again. It's been a few weeks. Ah, oh, just a few. <laughs> There's, there's a fair bit that's been going on uh, locally over the last few days. Now, first up, I thought, let's dive in and talk about this, uh, what was referred to in Australia as the Netflix tax. Uh, seems to be getting branded with a similar name here. What's your, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I guess what we're hearing is that the government wants to put in place a tax that will capture particularly those online transactions that are happening at the moment and, and consumers aren't getting charged GST on them. And I guess there's a, there's a variance in what the impact of, of that is. I think in Netflix's uh, case, they may be able to put a little bit more money in their, in their pocket than, say, light, uh, Lightbox locally. Uh, in, in other cases, consumers are paying a local uh, a, a, a lower price. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the thing is, is the, the reason for the tax is actually not so much to do with levelling the playing field as to actually capture more money. Um, the government would like to actually have GST on just about everything that is, you know, if it, if it moves or if it, even if it doesn't move, if it comes down the cable from <laughs> from the the southern cross cable from overseas we can tax that as well um and that's the idea of something like gst isn't it it's yeah. supposed to go on every every good or, or service that yes. uh, uh, a new zealander buys locally it's meant to be ubiquitous but we don't charge gst on things that we sell overseas and uh, other nations don't charge equivalent taxes on stuff they sell us that's been the rule up till now the question mark comes is because in the past the idea has been that you're buying something physically from overseas i mean when gst and value-added taxes it's called in the uk were first brought about i think they're originally a a european union thing um the idea was it was on physical goods or, or anything that was exported in those days was physical you know you needed a container and a ship or an airplane to move something around um now of course that's not the case with more and more of the economy is as they say weightless um that, that doesn't happen and it's so much easier to sell stuff from overseas it will have the effect of leveling the playing field a little bit for the likes of lightbox and so on but you know really 15 percent isn't the difference between people buying or not buying one service or the other Oh, I don't. I uh, in in that case maybe not. But you know, there are a lot of businesses that operate on much less than a fifteen percent oh. profit margin. So yeah, absolutely. There, you know, there, there's there's a whole lot of risk there if that isn't uh, balanced in terms of what the impact is, right? Yeah. No, I, that's that's certainly true. But what I meant is is that you're not going to choose one over the other if you want the program that's on one. If you want to see a show that's on one service, you're going to pay that 15% or not pay it. But I guess if we're in a position where both the services were exactly the same, one was 15% more than the other, then then you'd be choosing the cheaper option, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, uh, it's a a really interesting one. I recall from the US what I noticed that Amazon uh, did in, in years gone by. It used to be, for instance, if you were in California and you were buying... Uh, goods from Amazon and I imagine this now includes also things like their uh, Amazon music services and so on that come under that sort of prime uh, banner um, but if, if and, and you've got the Amazon app store uh, you know ebooks and so on for your Kindle uh, but it, it used to be if you were in California there was no tax from Amazon because Amazon didn't have a physical presence That's in right. California in America it's the the equivalent of GST, it's not GST, but it's the equivalent tax, it's sales tax, they call it, is yeah. state by state. That's so, right, it varies yeah. from one state to another. Yeah. And, you know, you've still got uh, at least one state that doesn't charge any yeah. uh, any sales tax. So, you know, it's common for people that are having goods sort of shipped to New Zealand as they ship it to that state so they don't pay a, a local US sales tax. And then it gets forwarded uh, from there, and that's the way uh, NZ Post's U-Shop service works. Your goods get shipped off to uh, Oregon where there's no sales tax, so you, you miss out yeah. on, on what you'd pay if you're in another state and so on. Um, but what I recall from Amazon was, yeah, they had this situation where because they didn't have a presence in certain uh, states, 
that shipping to those states, there was no uh, no sales tax okay. was actually charged, but that has has now changed. So that's actually a precedent for what we're doing here. It is, yeah, yeah. I think so. And, um, and the, I know the difference there is though that actually covers goods as well. Yeah. Whereas well, the government is not quite there yet in getting their head around what the picture looks like with goods. They're talking about focusing initially on services from the big players like the you know the, the uh, Netflixes yeah. and the Apples and so on, right? They've, they've parked the physical goods for later this year um, and just concentrating on, yeah, as you say, the non-physical stuff. Um, there was some concern that it might apply to business-to-business transactions as well, which would be difficult if, say, you used an overseas consulting firm or whatever. That's not the case, um, but... You will need to be. You will need to get um, to do the paperwork to not pay the GST if you're dealing with an overseas company on a business-to-business relationship. Um, and the companies that want to sell here will have to, some one way or another, register for GST in New Zealand. Um, one of the things that's going to make it a lot easier is if, say, for example, you're an app developer and you're in, I don't know, Iceland or Ireland or, you know. Malawi or wherever um, you sell your apps through the iTunes store then iTunes will be handling the GST part of the transaction goes over to Apple doesn't it yeah. yeah yeah. now one thing to be clear on is that what's out at the moment isn't set in stone this is just a discussion document yeah. from the government isn't it so yeah. Yeah. we've got a little while to come before that's all uh, all finalised but it's it's really about the fact that more and more I mean the idea originally with tax like GST was that it would capture all spending um, and with more and more spending falling into non-GST buckets, um, that this is really designed to bring that spending back into the GST um, area. Now, the talk is that there's $200 million worth of GST that the government isn't collecting at the moment, and this first raft of changes is going to allow them to collect a about 40 million out of that so we're only talking you know 20% of the possible broader take if they were to, a, able to close up all of you know the, what they're calling loopholes yeah but the thing is is it's likely to increase at a faster rate than the economy in general because if you've got a 15% tax advantage you're going to you know you're, you're going to be buying things that don't pay that don't attract that GST if you were in where you can so I think the idea is to act now before that's the bulk of the economy is um, you know doesn't have GST mm. yeah it's kind of interesting I used to be someone that would buy things off off trade me locally in in New Zealand and what I often do these days is I'm buying things from the likes of eBay where you might be buying the same goods, but they're coming from from source rather than, or, or virtually from source, rather than someone in New Zealand that buys up a whole lot of stock of whatever widget it is that you're after, and then and then someone locally is packaging those up and couriering them out locally because the um, the freight from, for instance, Hong Kong or China uh, is often just as cheap, if not yeah. uh, if not less, than what freight is around. New Zealand, and you're not getting a whole lot of extra value buying through someone locally. Uh, you know there is that disappointment that you're not supporting the local economy, uh, but you're you, you're saving on GST, and you're yeah. You know, I guess you're cutting out an, an, an extra uh, layer when you purchase that one. I, I did exactly that on Friday um, afternoon. I bought some um, inkjet cartridges for. I've got one of those printers with a. The, you know the big cartridges um, they're I don't know 60 70 bucks each in the shops couldn't find any in the shops on the North Shore um, got online found the supplier I think they're in Hong Kong um, Monday morning about 8.15 there was a courier at the door with the thing it was about $20 cheaper than buying them in a local shop wow and that's couriered from Hong Kong Probably a counterfeit product there, Bill. No, no. Just despite how good they might have looked, I, I talked to, I mean, I could be wrong in your case, but I talked to somebody um, on a recent visit to Silicon Valley from China around a particular uh, product, and it, and it wasn't what you were talking about. But I was, you know, saying, oh, look, there was a supplier that had an option of a, you know, genuine part no, it's a genuine versus part. A something or other, and they said, uh, well, actually, the part that was labeled genuine uh, with, 
that you know with the level of discount that you got uh, it might have looked like it was genuine but it, it probably wasn't so well, I thought that was kind of interesting if it's if it was a fake it was a bloody good fake because <laughs> uh, um, I compared the it was it was actually a Canon cartridge yes and I compared the Canon cartridge came in it was identical to the one we took out so yeah um, it, but it is fascinating how the, the, the things can be so much cheaper, including in your case, yeah. what sounds like basically a, 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 a FedEx type courier, right? Yeah, if yeah. you ordered it when you were ordering it Friday and you had it Monday, yeah, yeah. And I mean that's an, that's a reasonably expensive courier to get it from uh, from China to to New Zealand at that sort of pace. And, and given that the transaction was only about. Seventy dollars, sixty dollars. That's think the margin yeah. in that was yeah. nothing. Yeah, my my pick is Bill. Uh, you might have got some counterfeit goods there. Nah, nah, <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> no, no, I'm 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 pretty sure that um, I'm pretty sure that that's genuine part. Uh, right, I, I was convinced that the, what I had bought um, was genuine too until I chatted to this uh, this, this particular chap. So um, anyway, it's it's impossible to know, really, isn't it? Yeah. Other than I mean, these things look look as though they're genuine. Well, how, how could you tell? If it, if it was if it wasn't, it's got fabulously good packaging. Mm. <laughs> now, uh, next next topic. I thought this was. Uh, Curious, as you know, we've, we've heard of a lot of New Zealand things getting bought up overseas, and our banks being Australian-owned. Uh, one of our local IT firms, Code Blue, uh, launched out of Auckland. I don't know how many years they've been running. I think probably less than, well, maybe around ten years here oh, in New around Zealand. Ten years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they've just been sold to. Um, an Australian uh, stock market listed firm, uh, CSG, and apparently paying somewhere between five million and fifteen million New Zealand dollars, which is quite a big range. I think that they've had to pay up five million uh, yeah. cash at the outset, but then there's varying sort of uh, bonuses yeah. depending on uh, you know p- performance, which. As as we've heard uh, from ver- various people, um, I remember Rod Drury t- t- talking about uh, when uh, when he sold Aftermail, and uh, yeah, sometimes the the, the top end figures you hear aren't um, you know don't actually come to fruition. No, they don't. But this has got earnout clauses and so on, which means that the I think it means that the execs will have to stay there and carry on making money for the next X years for them to get the full fifteen million. It strikes me that uh, five million for ten years is not perhaps that fabulous. What do you think, Paul? You're in the uh, yeah. It's quite an interesting one. Um, you know, I recently purchased. Um, well, we had a valuation done on on Gorilla Technology uh, la- last year, and I went through the process of, of buying out my business partner who uh, had got to the age of of retirement. Uh, well, actually, he retired a little bit early, but uh, yeah. yeah, that was uh, it. Was always part part of the plan when he when he joined the business, and yeah, it's it's interesting to see the figure. It's it's not particularly high, and I I don't well. It depends. You know, there's a big difference between five million and fifteen million. Fifteen oh, yes, million is, is actually a, is a pretty reasonable figure. Yeah. Uh, but also, these types of businesses often operate on a franchise type basis, and I think that's part of uh, Code Blue's model. Is that they? I don't think that they necessarily own all of the entities uh. ar- around the country. So uh, that that you know obviously plays into the uh, plays into the picture. Um, but you know, that's it. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of their business, so well, I, I might not have those, those facts right. And um, let's, put, let's put it this way: there's a couple of houses <laughs> in, the, in the current market. Yeah, yeah, a couple of couple of reasonable houses. Yeah. Uh, now, moving on, t- t- the uh, TPP, the Trans Pacific Partnership. Uh, this this agreement led to a whole lot of protests over the weekend uh, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch I think you know in total somewhere in the direction of 20,000 people uh, out on the out on the streets protesting this agreement in now, horrible weather too horrid weather yeah uh, now I wasn't I wasn't out there uh, over the weekend so I I didn't uh, you know get to be part of the the discussion in person but there was a lot going on over Twitter and and social media 
And you know we've we've started to hear a fair bit of noise from the tech sector around the fact that hey we shouldn't we should stop this this agreement uh, taking taking uh, you know getting signed, and there's concern particularly around this around software patents and what that might mean for New Zealand and New Zealand software firms. And you know of course the tech sector is I think is is pretty key. To New Zealand's longer-term uh, future, as us, you know, selling our IP internationally, and there's a real uh, concern that uh, you know, we we might be forced to take a different uh, stance as a, as a country around uh, software patents. What, what's your thoughts on this, Bill? Because you know, I think when you look at it from that broad international perspective, a New Zealand uh, software maker. That maybe is selling into other markets, you know, may may get forced to uh, have to enter into this whole game of of software patents anyway. Yeah. And um, I mean, maybe you can explain why software patents are bad and why uh, if TPP sort of you know changes this, what that impact might look like. Well, we don't really know what's in the agreement because it's it's secret. And although there have been plenty of leaks, and the, the, we don't know how, you know, what. What the actual well, final yeah, agreement is going to look like, and, look like until yeah. we get there. Um, but my take on it is, is that bringing in software patents into New Zealand is is desperately bad news, and possibly will have a bigger negative economic impact on our long term future than the deal which apparently we're not getting on dairy. But, we, but uh, I'm just taking a, 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 I guess, a counter view. New Zealand uh, software businesses that are doing business in, for instance, the US, don't they then, because they're doing business in the US, then get pulled into the challenges associated uh, with software patents anyway? Or is your thought that, and let's, let's pick Xero, and I haven't, I haven't talked to um, Rod or anyone at Xero around this, so I, this is pure speculation. I did try and get uh, somebody on the show this week who might have a little bit more, sort of a, uh, more of a vested interest uh, in TPP. But you know, my thought is, let's say Xero, it might be that because their, their software is hosted, well actually some of it's hosted in the US, um, so maybe in their case, because they're hosting out of the US, they could fall foul of, of, of patent rules if they came into any well, issues, but maybe a software vendor that's offering a hosted service, if it was all hosted from, uh, you know, say countries that didn't, uh, you know, have, have these uh, patent laws in place, then uh, maybe, yeah, they wouldn't be impacted. But, you know, most New Zealand businesses that are exporting, you know, could well fall foul of, of laws in other countries anyway. Okay, the thing about patent law is that, generally speaking, it's something that happens after the event. You know, you make something and someone says, hey, that's breaking our patent, let's have some money, please. It doesn't work. You don't... I mean, it's, it's quite rare in these cases for you to go along to someone and say, hey, I want your patent to do this. Um, the thing about patents is that they're not really appropriate for software. I mean, we can, we can, there's a big argument we can get into on that. And I'm, I have to tell you, you know, I'm a journalist. I don't, I report things. I don't necessarily, sometimes I don't necessarily speak my own opinion on these things. But what I've learned from covering this area is that software does look like it's an inappropriate thing for to have a patent. Uh, the patents are really there to protect intellectual property they're not there to protect how you draw a circle on a screen or how you light up a pixel or how you have one click to purchase or any any of that thing that's not the intention of the patent law in the first place the classic story about patent laws and why they're a bad thing is what happened to the automobile industry back in the beginning of the last century when cars were new there were companies like mercedes benz i think it was daimler benz or whoever were building cars and they everything was patented and um pretty much the industry trolled along they were selling a few hundred vehicles each of these manufacturers for a long time but the patents had sort of what put a stop on in- yeah. innovation yeah stop on innovation stop it- stop on newcomers entering the market and then this newcomer entered the market his name was henry ford and he thought, stuff patents, I'm going to build cars. And by the time that he built enough cars, by the time he was found himself in court facing patent action, he'd built enough cars and made enough money to fight off the legal action. 
in effect, the paint, all the paints on um, internal combustion and so on went. That's not quite the whole story. I mean, we're mm. massively simplifying here. But the thing was, is that the automobile industry took off with this rocket-like trajectory after the patent thing was busted. Mm, mm. Okay, so that's where we are today with the software industry. We could have this industry which could fuel the world for the next 100 I mean, the, the car business fueled the world for the last 100 years. You know, the, the, the 20th century was the century of the automobile. This could be the century of software if we don't have these ridiculous patent laws stopping any innovation from happening. It's that simple. Um, do we need patents in general? No, we don't need them in general. Do we, I mean, New Zealand's a little bit small to be a standout on this, but... I, I hear a lot of people online tell me this, that we're a bit of a beacon of hope for them and that if it can work here, it can be made to work elsewhere. And I've, I've certainly had people from Europe ask me um, you know, to look into what's going on with this in New Zealand. Um, and can they you know, help bring about similar laws in, in, in the European Union? So it's something that's very important and I noticed that the people who are jumping up and down about this they're not your usual protesters these are not the people who you know go and set light to things or climb or climb down the side of buildings with banners and so on these are people in suits and ties well actually suits and ties in the software industry so we're talking about respectable professionals we're yeah. not talking about you know uh, wild-eyed anarchists we're talking about business people we're talking about capitalists if you like and they're they're very concerned about this this is this is a very real problem yeah, 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 definitely coming from that entrepreneurial and startup type yeah. type sector. And for you know, for uh, most people will probably have a handle on this, but you know what happens today is you know, I guess a, you know, a company that's concerned about patents has to build up basically their own arsenal of patents. So if somebody else, uh, yeah. you know, comes, come, you know, uh, attacks them and says, "Look, you're uh, you're uh, utilizing X Y Z technique that we've patented," uh, they've got enough of an arsenal to say, "Well, you're you're using a technique that we've patented." So you know, these things uh, you know balance out. But it's yeah, but that's just wrong. I mean, it's just it's, I know it's, 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 a, it's a bizarre uh, situation, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, I think there there are there are a chunk of businesses that you know that have a lot of patents, but they don't believe in going down this litigation track at all. But the problem is those organisations or businesses that are basically just sitting on a bunch of patents and waiting to sue whoever they can well, and, and and shut them down, etc. So well, uh, yeah, I think you know there's a lot of good reason why the, the stance New Zealand has taken to date is a good one. Uh, Paul, I, I'm a journalist, but I've, my entire adult life I've lived off of intellectual property. That's what I make my money from, and I don't like this law. So you know, yeah. take it from me, it's. It's not in our interests. Yeah, good, good point. Good point. Uh, I guess what we don't know is actually what's in the TPP, no. and what we've heard from the, the government since uh, the protests is, you know, the, the the comment. I think it came from Tim uh, Grosser uh, saying, "Look, there's nothing in there like that. Nothing to be concerned about." But I guess the you know the the concern is as well. We don't actually know what's there, and. I'm sure that you know the government will be riding a line where they're uh, you know risk, risking one th- you know giving up one thing in return for another, and we don't really know the, how that's going to balance out until afterwards, and whether they have the right uh, expertise to make uh, the calls that are uh, great great for us as a you know as a country long term. We hope they do, but uh, the protests would. Uh, would would suggest maybe uh, we're we're they're off track a bit. I, I don't think these decisions are going to come down to New Zealand in the long run anyway. I think if uh, Japan and America want to make an agreement, you know, with Canada and some of those other big economies, it's probably going to happen. And New Zealand will probably be along for the ride. We can either be in the club or out the club. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yep, good point. All right, now on to uh, on to new gadgets and tech that have been uh, launched in the last few days. Uh, first, I wanted to to chat about uh, Sparks offering in terms of more pork. Now we first heard about this going back uh, last year, 
Bill, can you remember what uh, what more pork was was called in its uh, in its first sort of iteration? Because this is coming out of um, Spark's new uh, new division that is uh, there to, I guess, create uh, to create new businesses for um, for Spark. Yeah, it was called Digital Ventures. I'm not sure if it's still called that. Yeah, so Digital Ventures have uh, that's where Lightbox has yep. come from. Uh, that's where um, what else? What else has come out of di- di- Digital Ventures? Curious, curious. Uh, their uh, their ISP. Um, yep, uh, skinny, skinny, uh, skinny mobiles big in there pipe. as well. Yeah. Yep, and big pipe the ISP. Um, so we heard about it. I think last year, DigiLife, and so More Pork is is basically the brand that they assigned to DigiLife, which I think we first talked about at least a year ago, and they they did this um, trial of basically uh, um, smart home technology. Yeah, if you go down to the uh, Spark building this week I, th- I think it's still there there's this mock-up of a house inside and I, w- I walked into the building last week and I saw this it looks like a sort of detached suburban home but it's made of paper or cardboard or something just demo this thing my first uh, take was oh they found a way of solving the housing crisis in <laughs> <Paper> housing. <laughs> but it's actually to demo the um, to demo the um, the um, home security yes. system and what's what excites me about this is that here we have a what was telecom a very staid company at one point i mean we, okay you know a generation ago it was a very staid company but spark when it changed its name it clearly was more about just rebranding it really was a, uh, moving into a different direction so it's gone from being in effect to selling communication services to selling a wider range of digital products and services um, and so what you're seeing is the growth of probably New Zealand's first big digital services organisation and they're cleverly expanding that on things that sort of piggyback off the telecommunications expertise and home security has always been closely tied to telecommunications but Spark's taking that in a digital direction and the fact that I mean when I first heard that it's a thousand bucks to get into more pork for, for the starter kit I thought well that's a lot of money but actually it's peanuts compared with what home security used to cost and um, you know and what you get for that is actually quite a bit so so let me jump in just for a moment, uh, just to fill people in on on exactly what uh, the Moorport kit, kit uh, costs and what it consists of. So that $999 uh, that they're selling that for gives you a control panel, uh, which I guess is, is like in a traditional uh, home alarm system. That, that would be your keypad where you uh, arm or disarm uh, your 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 alarm system, so you get that. But that's also connected to the internet via a, uh, a built-in uh, mobile connection and a SIM card. You get three door and window sensors. So, yep, if you've got more uh, doors or windows that you want to monitor, you you can get more of those. One image sensor, which is like your traditional uh, motion sensor, and you know I've got these on my traditional alarm system at home. Um, but the image sensor when it detects motion also takes a takes a picture which I think is pretty handy and then you've got a video camera now for the video camera to uh, to operate rather than that try to utilize the, the 3G uh, 4G connection I think it's 3G connection that's in that main control panel that links into your home uh, internet connection over Wi-Fi or, or you can plug in a cable if you wish but that's interesting it's, it's using both the fixed line and mobile yeah, and I mean, you don't even necessarily need to plug in the video camera if you don't want to. You could still operate the system uh, without it. So that means that sneaky guys can't come around and snip your cable and then rob the house. That's right. That's right. So uh, now what what I haven't tried is, I, you know, I think if somebody got to your control panel and uh, disconnected it from power then they were they might uh, they might get a, get away with taking advantage of you but that said you will then start getting some alerts that that's actually dropped off the network so you will get communications through into your uh, into the app on your phone which at the moment uh, the Morpork app is available on Android and iOS but it's worth noting that uh, 
what Spark have done here is actually quite smart. They've leveraged a platform that, that I've looked at actually over the last couple of years and thought, oh, it'd be really good if this was officially supported in New Zealand. It's a platform called Alarm, um, Alarm, Alarms.com out of, out of the US. And so actually they're uh, licensing or, or using their technology, using a, a variation of their apps. And that app is actually available on Windows Phone, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure if you were if you were one of the one of those on Windows Phone uh, that wanted to use this service, that you could. Now I haven't haven't tried it out uh, yet, but uh, we'll try that with my wife's uh, uh, Windows Phone over the over the next few days. But I'm I'm pretty sure that will work. Um, and the nice thing as well about them using a, a platform like this is that there's a lot of uh, possibilities because they, um, you know, Spark don't have to reinvent the wheel. Anything that's available from, uh, sorry, I think it's Alarm.com, not Alarms, um, from, from the Alarm.com uh, platform, they potentially can can open up in the future. So you can be controlling lighting in your home and, you know, a, a whole myriad of things that could communicate back to this base station. It was, what interests me is when Spark and Chorus demerged, I thought that perhaps the job of running Spark would be you know, presiding over a declining business model, a declining industry, um, you know, tougher competition and so on. It is. They've actually... To, yeah, to a, to and a, it, all to those a things degree. are true. But, but what's happening here is we're seeing some real innovation. And it's interesting that Spark's going down this route, which is, in effect becoming a all digital services company whereas um vodafone is going in a very different direction with its its strategy um it's it's really interesting to see how these things are evolving yeah and i guess looking at it you would sort of expect that uh, this would be the sort of thing the vodafone would have worked out uh, globally and would already be offering uh something because you know when they put in a bit of r&d you know, if they can spread it around all their uh, operations uh, globally, they, they get a great return out of it. What Spark's done here is smart. They've looked at what the options are in the market. Yeah, they found something they can uh, leverage off and, and maybe, I don't know if they've signed an exclusive deal uh, for New Zealand or whether, or whether Vodafone, if they're listening in, might decide, oh, that's actually a really good idea. Uh, we'll contact Alarm.com and signed up the same deal and they could be offering the, the, the same thing. I, do, I don't know whether that's a possibility or, well, my, or not. My take on it is that um, Vodafone is very much more into partnering with other organisations, like it's got a partnership with Sky for TV and, and so on, um, rather than doing it in, in-house. Well, yeah, but, I mean, this isn't exactly an in-house no, thing, is it? No. Because they have, there, there is a level of partnership. But uh, I think a good, good move here by, uh, by Spark... Looks like a good service. I've certainly heard some, you know, discussions online. People saying, "Well, this is quite expensive for what you get." There are cheaper ways to do it, but when you look at the fact they're offering a, an all-encompassing uh, service, so I think it's the the running cost a month is thirty dollars a month. You've got to commit to yeah. a, a term, and it's fifty dollars a month if you want it to be monitored. So it's a bit more than other options. Gives you a bit more capabilities though, and you've got a truly digital platform. You don't have to have an analog phone line uh, to run it. And, you know, there's no reason why in the future that they might not adjust the, the pricing structures if, if they come under competitive pressure. But at the moment, there isn't anyone but, else offering a service like this in New Zealand. But, Paul, you can do your own, you can run your own server or you can buy a cloud server. It's the same, yeah. it's the same thing. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, no, I, I think they're onto something good here. Now, uh, there was a, a little announcement last week from uh, from Samsung, as they do from from time to time. In fact, you know, twice a year is when we get the big announcements from Samsung around their smartphones. So, uh, not that long ago that we had the uh, the Samsung Galaxy uh, S6 and the S6 Edge uh, announced, sort of concurrently around the world, including here in New Zealand. Good play with those, uh, and you know, still, you know, I think the Galaxy uh, S6, is, you know, is by far their best uh, smartphone to date from a, a design and a build perspective. Uh, great fingerprint reader, and especially great camera. Really, really good. Uh, interestingly, this doesn't seem to have put the sort of dent in Apple they would have liked. Uh, now it's time for for the. Um, uh, there are other refresh that they do annually, and that's on their Note product. But what they've done here is they've announced the uh, Galaxy Note 5, and alongside it is a bigger version of the Galaxy um, 
the Galaxy 6 Edge and the Galaxy 6 Edge Plus. Bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, but so we've got these two uh, two phones, both with uh, what is it, five point seven inch screen bill. Yep. Yep. Same size as the iPhone Plus, iPhone 6 Plus. Uh, slightly bigger screen, isn't it? Uh, mm, that's a five point yeah. uh, five point five. But the, 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 yeah. the handset in itself is, is is similar. I think a little bit smaller than the um, the Com- iPhone the comparison. iPhone six plus. Um, I am. Um, I, I only saw them for the first time this evening doing this podcast, and um, I have to say the last lot of Samsungs, not the S six, but the S fives, I thought were disappointing. Um, they're a bit plasticky, and they just weren't very special and there are a lot of money for not very special the um s6 was a massive improvement on that the um the two we've just seen here the two that have just been released they're actually really really nice they have the feel of quality um premium phones which i don't think the um the s5 did have no i think you know samsung have really have come a long way uh, with this release, in terms of just you know the the feel of the uh, the, the phones in your hand, the glass and and uh, you know aluminium build, uh, they've carried through those great cameras. The the specifications of these are uh, are, pr- are pretty impressive. They're now up to four gigs of RAM in, yeah. the, in these in these phones, and, and the way that uh, which sort of rivals what you get in your PC or, or laptop, right? And and that edge thing. I mean, on the one hand, it's a, it's like slightly gimmicky that you can't really there's not really much in the way of applications that really use the edge i mean okay you can stick on its side and see things light up well you know great but but what's what i like about it is it's taken that that whole bezel thing out of the equation which was um you know the do you remember the earlier smartphones had these like whacking great big bezels and they got smaller and smaller and smaller and now it's disappeared altogether. oh you're talking about the iphone yeah the early ones had these whacking great bezels um samsung's done away with that altogether it's it's, that's nice yeah it it is nice but there's there's quite a premium you pay for that and i and you know although they they drop in a couple of extra features you slide in from the side uh and with the with the um s s6 uh edge you could slide in from from the side and get a list of uh regular uh you know five five favorite contacts that you could quickly call uh you've got that now and you slide in again and you've got some favorite apps Uh, it's not not really a, a killer feature, but it is um, it well, is something that gives you a I guess a little bit more of a unique device because there are not many people that have the uh, the edge handsets, right? No, but the the problem that Samsung faces is that I it looks to me that about now they're hitting their stride with these phones in terms of the technology in the phone. It's it's a really nice piece of kit. It also happens to be about now that they're they're just sinking a bit below the visibility line in the market um things aren't going to plan for samsung and they're not they're still not making much profit out of this business um it makes you wonder what you've got to do with an android phone to um to make money from it well these are really good handsets the, the note 5 is 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 my pick out of the two now uh the s6 edge plus that is coming in at Thirteen hundred ninety nine, fourteen hundred dollars for for a smartphone, uh, which is a lot of money for a phone. Which I think uh, that is the thirty two gig model. There's also a uh, a six, sixty four uh, gig option, uh, sixty four gigs of storage. Hundred dollars less. So the Note Note Five is coming in at uh, about thirteen hundred dollars. But the Note Five for me, I'm holding it now. Uh, I've been been using it over the last few days, and um, thank you, Samsung, by the way, for uh, for giving us early early access to play with these because I know they were they were just announced you know globally on Friday. Uh, this is in terms of feel as as equipment, it's really nice. And the thing I've been uh, uh, I guess you know getting used to is the fact that I've held handsets of this size in the past maybe slightly bigger and felt whoa that's way too big but yeah. as we get used to each year slightly bigger slightly bigger slightly bigger handsets uh this is the first time i've picked up the note and thought oh yeah i could use i could use that as my everyday device it doesn't feel too big uh anymore i've been sort of uh you know gradually uh, made to get used to the bigger format 
and the way it works with the new uh, the new stylus or S Pen as they like to call it uh, is really good. I was using uh, OneNote, which I use for instance on the Microsoft Surface, and, and it's great on that. But the Surface is a is a big beast to uh, yeah. to carry around. Microsoft never got around to launching that Surface Mini just yet, uh, and the thought of actually being able to use uh, the stylus, well, this is what I've been doing today, is using the uh, the stylus uh, with OneNote, and uh, it actually actually works pr- pretty well. And this is just the device I'm, you know, carrying around in my pocket. Yeah, so, I, I had um, I had Stylus Envy earlier. I I've, I used Stylus computers a long time ago. I had one of the very first Newton message pads back in the early nineties. Um, it couldn't read my shorthand. But then I can't read my Nobody shorthand. Nobody could read your shorthand, Bill. <laughs> I, can't, I can't read my shorthand. Um, but it's uh, um, you know, I, I remember that I remember being blown away by the very first Newton. You know, that you would write, uh, write a few words and it would read, uh, turn them into text. Yes. Sometimes it would get them badly wrong, but sure. Hey, you know, this was early nineties and it was impressive. For twenty years ago, that was yeah. that was amazing. I think the um, I think that stylus thing. I'm starting to get a bit of envy going here, Paul. And uh, the funny thing is, there's a little uh, yeah, click click. There's a little clicker on the end of the stylus, like a like a ballpoint pen. It's uh, so you can have the uh, nervous jitters and click away on your uh, on your stylus. It's just part of the spring loading mechanism, but I, I think it's kind of it's kind of fun. I, I don't think I'd sit down with one of those um, phones and the pen to to interview someone if I was as working as a journalist. But I might use it to grab a few notes when I'm sitting at the back of a conference or mm. um, a press or at a press conference or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I uh, I think Samsung are doing some good some good stuff here. So. Uh, Nice to see. Certainly, their their phones this year, I think, are streets ahead of what they've uh, released in the past. You know, both of these have the wireless charging that we saw mm. uh, introduced as standard with the Galaxy S6 as well, which is convenient. And they've now got a new uh, fast uh, charger support for for, for both uh, products. And we saw something similar with the S6. Uh, so. Yeah, you can you can charge these in uh, between ninety and uh, one hundred and eighty minutes. Um, I can't remember which 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 one char- charges faster. And that their new they've got a new wireless charger that also does the wireless charging pretty quickly. So I know there have been you know some people a little bit upset around the fact that. Uh, that Samsung have sort of followed a little bit in Apple's footsteps, and that there's there's no support for changing out a um, yeah. you know, memory card or and, and no removable battery. Yeah. But these have got pretty good battery life, and uh, you know the the access to that wireless charging and the fast charging uh, to me takes away some of some of the pain around. Uh, battery life and the the phone I've had issues actually with lately on battery life has been my iPhone so and I don't know whether that's been that I've uh, you know I don't know done, done something to uh, to mess with the battery whether my usage habits have changed um, I think it's probably having it paired to the Apple Watch has, oh, has yes. impacted it yeah, right? that's exactly that's, what it is that's yeah, t- those, yeah. are, those are chit chatting yeah. all the, all the yeah. time um, and so, you know, the more things that you're connecting to, in terms of Bluetooth and and so on, that that's going to uh, that's going to blow out your battery. No, but, that's 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 absolutely what it is. Yeah. I've been using um, continuity, you know, the business where the phone rings and it comes up on your phone, on your yes. computer, or your laptop, or yeah. your um, tablet, or whatever. And that does that pushes the batteries harder. But I would imagine the watch is polling even even more often mm. so there's more more need to uh, to keep our keep our power current but yeah i've got to say it's been it's been a good few years since i've had a phone where i've gone and swapped out the battery during the day i, yeah. ju- I just don't do it anymore i'll have a portable charger with me a- as an alternative rather than actually switching the batteries over or i'll have a second phone if i'm at a or, traveling or an event or i'm just disciplined about using it <laughs> 
disciplined about using your gadgets, Bill. That doesn't sound like you. Um, all right, now one last gadget just before we uh, before we finish up. Uh, mentioned this in, in passing last week, and this is Tom Tom's Bandit. Now this is uh, very much a a GoPro competitor, uh, but being from Tom Tom, who of course are the GPS guys, it does have a built-in uh, GPS. Uh, it does have compatibility with the uh, accessories for the GoPro. Uh, the couple of things that stood out for me is, and I've you know, only been playing for, with this for, for about a week or so, uh, is that it's got battery life. It's about 50% or so uh, longer than the GoPro, so you can get, get about three hours of, of uh, full HD recording. Uh, very easy to use. You got a little uh, button on the back to to turn it on, and you also once you turn it on, you hit it again to start recording, uh, and then you can hit that again to mark in your video moments that uh, you think maybe are highlights, uh, and then you've got a button up the other end uh, to stop filming uh, or to or to turn it off. So you've got a 16 megapixel still camera in there, uh, full HD up to 60 frames per second, so you can slow it down for for normal filming and, and it looks like it's got a really good um lens and a large um a large um collector light collector so yeah yeah it's um it's pretty decent now yeah. i've been looking at people that have done some serious uh comparisons between this and the gopro and it seems like they're, they're pretty close um the the uh, bits and pieces i saw seem to be leaning sort of slightly towards the GoPro on some things, but then, you know, back towards the TomTom on, on other uh, video in terms of what was uh, what was better. Uh, but I think definitely having that um, yeah, extra battery life is a, is a good plus. Also, uh, now, Bill, you and I were playing with this before. The, uh, the way that you can actually, that you uh, charge the device and, and so on is quite unique. So uh, there's a little button on the back, and then you twist the back of the camera, and uh, it basically separates in two all of the smarts uh, where your, you know, your micro SD card is and, and your battery um, basically just slide out of the barrel. And uh, there's a USB 3 connection, so you can just plug it straight into any uh, any USB charger or into your computer. And uh, I did this by my bedside yesterday after having uh, used it. And uh, yeah, little little LEDs on it that I didn't even notice were there. Uh, flicked on, and I could see just how how far along it was with charging. And you can also plug it straight into your PC, so you don't need to carry cables around. Uh, plug it straight into your PC, and uh, you know it's. Um, uh, it's charging while it's on your PC, and it's also uh, you know allowing you to, to copy your files down. Uh, but the other the other unique thing is the app, and I've I've uh, fired this up on the iPhone. Uh, don't think I tried it on the Android yet. But basically, you connect to the TomTom uh, over Wi-Fi, and then you can uh, live you know watch the the video uh, that's that's coming through on your iPhone. So you can use it as a bit of a viewfinder. Uh, but also, the app lets you do some smart stuff in terms of editing up your video. Uh, so you can actually do a, uh, um, a, a basic video editing job from your smartphone. That scares me. The thought of that scares me. Well, it actually it works okay. Now, what I think TomTom are probably oversold. Um, now, I mentioned you can press the button on the back of it to sort of mark the highlights of where you think the good footage is. What TomTom have, have maybe oversold, and maybe they'll improve this down the, down the track with some software updates, uh, but they're, they're talking about their ability because they've got GPS tracking and so on that they can capture your speed and various other uh, you know bits and pieces is that they can predict where the highlights are in your footage. So if, maybe if you're uh, you know snowboarding or, or something like that, they can capture when you're going really fast or, or maybe when you, you come off your snowboard <laughs> and uh, automatically remember those as maybe highlight points. Now, because oh, uh, that's that's for uh, New Zealand's stupidest home videos. Or exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is a bit of an ability where you can uh, you can use the app on your iPhone, uh, give it a shake, and it, it collates together these uh, best moments. Uh, but the nice bit with that is you can actually go in and adjust those. So if you don't like what it's found, you can actually delete bits and you can adjust the, the bits and pieces. So, yeah, it might not be as big a time saver as, a saver as uh, TomTom might predict, but it is still possible to uh, 
put together a reasonably quick sort of highlights uh, video and then uh, you know pull pull that off your phone. So it, it's, yep. it's definitely a bit of fun and good to see some uh, you know some competition in this um, you know uh, sports and and uh, you know type type of uh, cam- you know. Well, camera. one thing you didn't mention is that it actually looks like a good piece of kit. I mean, it's. Very well built, very yeah. solid. Yeah. And it's got some mounts and things on it, which uh, are good too. Yeah. Now, what I did miss uh, initially was that the model they've sent me, now this is the standard one, I think it's about $620, uh, doesn't have all the features that I read about online. So I read about it being waterproof to 50 metres. Oh. Uh, that is the net, the premium uh, model, which is... So that's the one you need if you're walking outside in Auckland tonight. <laughs> in the rain, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, worth bearing in mind, there are two variations. And, yeah, by, 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 the, by the one you want from the, uh, from, from the get-go. Uh, but, yeah, it's still uh, very cool. But I think the, the extra waterproof one would be, you know, great if you were you know diving and that sort of stuff and um uh, jason hosking who we've had on the show uh in the past who does stunning uh you know wildlife photography and bit of underwater uh filming and 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 shooting and so on i've seen some of his gopro footage and and it's phenomenal i was telling him about it and he was oh 50 meters yep that sounds good um but then i realized oh this isn't the one with 50 meters because i was going to pass it across to him to uh to see if he could he could do some underwater reviewing for us but uh yeah worth uh worth just checking before you buy which one you you're going to get and um yeah as i say good uh, good to uh yeah good to have a bit of competition against the gopro and uh, hopefully tom tom will sort of keep uh uh, you know, pushing and uh, keep coming through with with new features that that put more pressure on uh, on GoPro. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's probably up us for this week, Bill. Reckon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming along. Uh, it's been been fun to chat. Yep. Enjoyed it, Paul. Now, just as a reminder for maybe those that uh, don't listen in every week or or need a reminder, where do people find you online? Um, BillBennett.co.nz. Two N's, two T's. And on Twitter? Uh, Bill Bennett NZ. Excellent. And you can track me down uh, on Twitter, Paul Spain, and I'm across the other the other social networks. Uh, and uh, you can find out a, a little bit more or get links uh, at the nztechpodcast.com website. So thank you, everybody, for, uh, for listening in. Uh, we also have new episodes of the New Zealand Motoring Podcast and New Zealand Business Podcast going online this week. Uh, so well worth looking those up. And um, one thing we haven't actually ever asked for before, but having uh, just recently got back from a podcasting conference in, uh, in Texas, actually, uh, I'm told, is that um, something that helps support a podcast is when the listeners go in and give it a rating or a review on iTunes. So uh, if any of you that haven't given us a rating or a review on iTunes uh, would like to do so, um, then that would uh, that would be very much appreciated. Apparently it helps sort of, you know, keep us active and, uh, and, and on, uh, on Apple's radar and uh, will help more people find out about the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm doing it now. Oh, thank you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you going to rate yourself this week? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Excellent. <laughs> hey, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.